I concur with Pastor James, and I thank you all for your generous gifts and the sermon today. Uh, I put your the PC Study Bible into action, so the fruits of your gift is actually went to work already. I didn't think it was going to go so quick, but it has, and it's my honor to um, always to share the Word of God with you. And I chose this topic. I you noticed where I normally preach is I try not to go to the Gospels. It's very difficult to teach. I just try to stay away. Like the plague, I try to stay with the epistles. But this conversation with Christ and Peter and John recording this is an intriguing thing for me, and I've thought about it many times and as recently. So I decided to study and share it with you this morning. You know, personally, um, being a person who loves sports, loved sports, played many uh, competitions, if I had to go back. Going back to when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, if I had to play one more sport, if I had to play one more game, I would play football. There's sort of a romance in football when you put on your gear like a Roman gladiator and it's a certain feeling you get before competition. I sort of feel like that when I come up to preach as well, except that I don't get to hit anybody or tackle anybody. I just get to talk. But... I had great experience playing, um, and it's largely due to one man, is the coach I had. His name was Joe Zeno, and he taught me a lot of things. He was a graduate um, assistant under John Wooden, so I had the privilege of, through him, meeting John Wooden at one point in my life, and in our meeting room, we had a great thing. Those of you who went to UCLA and know John Wooden, his pyramid of success, and he preached on it all the time. He was a coach, teacher, a disciplinarian, he was a strategist. And motivator as well. You know, he challenged me before my senior year to put on more weight. He said, he, I, don't want to, I don't want, he said this to me, he said, I don't want to see you pushed around like a wet rag. I was kind of offended by that. But it motivated me to work hard, to build myself. And that, in about four or five uh, span, working out and eating also, I put on 25 pounds during my, between my junior and senior year. And also, but that at the same time, I worked out right so that I also knocked down uh, my 40-yard dash time by like two-tenths of a second, which was pretty significant for a slow guy like me. But he challenged me and motivated me, and I wanted to be good. And he knew that, he taught me that value of hard work, that when I line up against the next guy, only difference that may make is that, that the work I've done before to get to that point. And I respected him as a hard worker because every Monday he would have a game plan ready for us to play the following week. And I know he worked hard. He worked all weekend for it. And but one thing, the interesting thing he always did was he all had us all of us to believe that we were the worst team we were out there. We were actually the worst team. The closest game we had, that one undefeated season we had, was 18 to zero playing defense. I thought we had a fantastic game, but coming off the field, I thought we were the worst team ever made. But at the end of the season, when we went undefeated, he said, you guys are the best. And he knew how to get the best and the most of his players. And you see Christ, probably the greatest coach, greatest leader, greatest motivator of all time, doing similar thing with Peter here. The conversation here, we see how Christ challenges and motivates Peter. Because after this conversation, Peter the changed man. He reinstates, restores Peter here and 
exalt him, exalt, exhort him to do the tend to his sheep. And some would ask, how can Peter deny Christ three times in one night like that? But we should ask of ourselves. You know, I am humbled by Peter because I could feel what Peter is feeling at that moment when Christ is talking to him. Peter was a humble man. His pride was completely broken at this time. But I see myself in Peter many times. Peter did it overtly. But a lot of times we do it covertly uh, without other people knowing. But we know that Christ knows. So we could all put ourselves, and me in the top of the list, in Peter's shoes, and listening to Christ, and being asked the same question. Just a brief background on Peter. We know that on four biblical lists of disciples, he is always the first name on the list, on all four lists. And it's interesting, he, his name before he met Christ, remember when Christ approaches Peter for the first time, it actually wasn't Peter, he called it, it was Simon but it's a name that he actually calls him in this text. It was Peter was a name given by Christ, and no one else um, in the Gospel is mentioned more. Peter is mentioned more than any other name, except Jesus in the four Gospels. We know that he was very impulsive, over-eager man. He was always bold in professing Christ and confessing Christ as Lord. No one is praised more than Peter, actually. But yet, Peter is the only one Christ ever addressed him as Satan one time, right? So there's extreme ends. You know, he was a fisherman by trade. He worked with his hands. Brother Andrew, he was probably a... Uh, he was a fisherman, so he was probably um, heir to the fishing business that he was, family was involved in. Peter was married, we know that, in Luke 4. Jesus heals his mother-in-law. And Peter was obviously like a spokesman and leader of his, the disciples. But it seems like Christ, we know that Christ trained Peter to be a leader. So when we see Peter, you see an example of how God builds a leader. An unequipped, uneducated man, but God takes him to be a great preacher. And you read First and Second Peter, his letters, you see a beautiful writing um, of a godly man. You know, the context of this passage today is after the resurrection of the Lord. This is the third time Christ is appearing before his disciples. He first appeared uh, to Mary outside the tomb. And this one time Christ appears to the disciples minus Thomas and with Thomas. And this is the third time. So, studying this text, we cannot go on further without talking about Peter's denial. You know, after Christ, night that he was betrayed and sentenced to death, after Christ washed their feet, instituted the Lord's Supper, with the cross near at his sight, with the betrayal about to happen, we see Peter's self-confidence and pride. And we see that in all of us, right? We will not betray Christ. Matthew 26:33, Peter replied, Even if all follow in account of you, I never will, Peter says. And Jesus responded by saying, I tell you the truth. This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And remember this. We have to remember this as we go on to this text. Christ knows what is actually in Peter's heart. Although he proclaimed that I never will, Christ knows. But it is a complete turnaround 
when what Christ responds to Peter. Because Peter, uh, Christ being God, knows his heart. So at every turn, every moment, Peter's attitude, and he shows his attitude of pride, self-confidence in what he could do. So let's please turn with me to see his denial, to actually see his failure, to Matthew 26, verses 69 through 74. Matthew 26, verses 69 through 74. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before all, saying, I did not know what you're talking about. When he had gone out the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later the bystander came up, to, came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are the one of them, for, the, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man, and immediately rooster crowed. You see the progression also of Peter's denial. He gets vehement, he gets angry that people would accuse him. And it is very sad to see a man um, turn away like that. But we see in the verse, this chapter, in the verses 1 through 40, uh, 14 leading up to it, it's a tr- uh, many say it is the term, it's a, the event when they fish. It's a term of evangelism, being fishers of men, is the example people draw from. But we know that it is just not enough to simply bring lost sinners to faith in Christ. Christ demands a person to be a true follower, to be a person who grows in Him and matures in Him. This section being the epilogue of Gospel according to John, it tells great truth. The Pastor James shared uh, Tuesday night that in business, in our business, we say when we have a heart-to-heart meeting with an employee, when managers have heart-to-heart meeting, we call it, uh, as Pastor James shared, come-to-Jesus meetings. This is one of those truly and literally come-to-Jesus meetings. Peter and Jesus speaking. So I want to consider four aspects of this text today, plus a question, a very important question at the end. Four aspects. One is the full restoration of Peter. Number two, the honest confrontation of Peter. Number three, genuine love of Peter. And number four, the predicted death of Peter. So first one, the full restoration of Peter. You know, you notice in Jesus' questions, it doesn't show any rebuke or actual correction. But in rather, it is in a sense, Christ saying to Peter, it's time to go. Get back on your feet. and It's time to do the work. You know, you could, we could sense that John is dealing with the untreated sin. You know, John is affirming the concept of a person who has to be right with God that has been done wrong at one point. It's, sort, it's a sense of release from the sins of the past, of denying the Lord, as in Peter's case. The emphasis of this passage falls on the restoration of Peter and service, what he is ought to do. You know, Peter had boasted um, his reliability in presence of his fellow disciples, and he fell. We know that these three questions match the three times that 
Peter denied Christ. So in front of his disciples, Christ restores him and calls him to do the work. Secondly, the second aspect of this is the honest confrontation of Peter by Jesus. Now they had finished breakfast. Jesus turned to Simon Peter and asked. Now he says, he goes back to his unregenerate name. He said, Simon, the son of John, do you love me more than these do? You know, I think in the, in the New Testament days, in Christ's days, you know, if they call you out by your father's name, I think it means seriousness. Okay? We know that that goes on your um, tombstone, so-and-so, son of so-and-so. So if you, they call out your father's name, there's an air of seriousness and um, somberness to this. This, is, this means real. Now, Christ gave him the name Peter, but he calls him out the same name when he first met him. You know, Jesus is simply asking to reevaluate what you have been saying to this point. Reevaluate your your boast. Jesus is asking that Peter, in your heart, you need to sift things out. This is a penetrating question by Christ. I think this had to be done in order for Peter to do God's work. And Jesus asks simply, do you love me? It doesn't say, how much do you love me? What are you willing to do? Simply, do you love me? So what is he to, uh, referring to? Do you love me more than these? Well, the question, I think, it could be referring to various things. There's fish, fishing gear, there are boats, there are disciples. So it could be, the question could be, well, do you love me more than the fish? These fish? or fishing gear, or fishing itself, or the disciples. But what I think what, his, what makes sense and what he's asking for is the original question he asked uh, before his denial. He said, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Now, Peter has always been confident of himself. He had a high opinion of himself. He wanted to be the model of love and model of disciple of Christ. He explicitly professes devotion to Christ on several occasions. He says in Mark 14.29 and John 13.37 and Matthew 26, he says, Peter says to him, to Christ, even if all may stumble because of you, I will never stumble. We all know that Peter didn't live up to his own view and loyalty. So in light of what happened that night, And when he betrayed Christ three times, we know his failures. So Jesus confronts Peter head on here. His pride, his high opinion of himself. But Peter faces his frailty. And he is, Jesus is probing deep into Peter's heart. Peter could truthfully affirm here that he did love Jesus. He also speaks in terms of assessing himself. He says, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Christ says, Feed my lambs. And Christ asks a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter uses identical words. He says, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. 
And Christ says, shepherd my sheep. Then the third time, Jesus asked the same question. And Peter was grieved and hurt. He realizes, why does he hurt? Is he kind of frustrated with the situation? The questioning? Perhaps. And we know, a lot of times when people ask us questions, we know that both sides know the answer. It's sort of frustrating to be asked again and again. Maybe that was part of it. But I think there's a bigger thing here. The Peter's distress, or he's grieving, his hurt with Jesus. He's not grieving over the actual question, but he's grieving over his failure, his sin. It hurt too much. He says in the NIV, it says it hurt him. Yeah, it was hurting him because it was a humbling. This is the most humbling experience that is recorded on Peter. Probably the, maybe the only humbling experience. Truly humbling experience of Peter. Christ was not attempting to shame Peter, but he's seeking to forgive and reaffirm his call to serve. That's why Peter acknowledges Christ's omniscience, the doctrine of omniscience of God. says, you know I love you. Christ already knew Peter's heart. Before the night when he denied him, Christ knew he was going to deny him. But at this time, Christ being God, knew that Peter really loved him. And that's why he says, tend to my sheep. Peter had nothing more to say. Peter's faith now at this point was real. He knew who Christ was. He had nothing more to give. He simply relied on Christ's omniscience, His power, and says, You know I love you, Lord. You know. And this was a very humbling act. That's the only thing he could appeal to. He couldn't boast about it himself anymore because he had failed miserably. He only appeals to God's attribute. So this is a probing of Christ, of Peter. The depth of his being. And Christ accepts him and gives him the challenge or decoration and commissions him to feed my lambs. So, there is no more an ounce of self-righteousness in Peter in this time. He is a humbled, broken man. Because he was finally humble, Christ encourages him. I'm paraphrasing here. Go back to work. Go and do what you were called for. Do what you were called to do. Third aspect. The genuine love of Peter. I mentioned this. You know, Peter proved, sought to prove his loyalty for Christ. Remember when the centurions approached, he was the one who jumped first. That sort of was the action that, that was Peter's heart, to show and prove himself. But truly from this text, to genuine love of Peter comes out because Christ challenges him to prove one's true love for God here is for the sacrificial service to feed, to feed, to tend, or to take care of Lord sheep. Peter really loved Christ. And he took up Christ's call and devoted and caring for his master's sheep remaining days of his life. We know that he uh, died a martyr's death because he loved Christ. So last, fourth aspect of this text is the predicted death of Peter, the, which, the manner in which Peter would die. 
verses 18 and 19 points, us, points out to us that Peter's death by crucifixion, Peter would die. The death of Peter would endure and it would glorify God. We know that his death for the Savior's sake is certain. It says, I tell you the solemn truth. When you were young, you were tied up your clothes around you and wherever you, go, you would go wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will tie you up and bring you where you don't want to go. Jesus informs Peter that he must suffer a martyrdom as an aspect of his discipleship, his loyalty to Christ. Now, this is not to be viewed as a punishment for his denials. No, it's not the case. It's a cost of following him. When, the, when during that time, the, the phrase, when you die by stretching out your hands, it refers to dying on a cross, was un- understood in the ancient world. That's what you uh, refer to as crucifixion. So Jesus tells that by Peter's death, that he would glory, bring glory to God. And we know that Peter lived under this shadow. You know, he served another three decades, almost 30 years with this cross hanging over him. But did it stop him? No. It was always a reminder of a painful death that he was headed. But he continued to serve. But despite his past faults and failings, he knew that his death would glorify God because Christ prophesied this. But I think what made Peter continue in his ministry knowing that he would suffer a painful death? But I think rather Peter looked forward to his death because it would bring glory to God. I think on a personal note, I think as Christians, you know, if I knew that my death would glorify God, I would look forward to it. I think most of you will as well. I think this prediction of Peter's death tells us, teaches us one thing. The true servant of Christ must serve sacrificially, not valuing his own life, but for the love of Christ and love of of his flock. The lastly, I would ask this question. You know, I asked this question and I struggled with this answer and this is what I came up with. You know, why does John record this at the end of his gospel? It's an amazing gospel. We've studied up to chapter 7. It's an amazing gospel. But why does John conclude his gospel in chapter 21 by something that he has observed between Peter and Christ. You know, John, just on him, he was also a fisherman. He played a major role in the early church. Along with Peter, he was in the, the inner circle with Christ. He was one of those spent much time with Christ. Although John was a loving disciple, he did not compromise on his passion for truth. We knew that studying First John. He taught things black and white. He had good balance. And to the end, his deep abiding love for Christ, he remained true to the truth of Scripture to the very end. He was ambitious, but he was humble. John was often called the Apostle of Love because he knew he understood the importance of Christ's love. 
So what I conclude here today is that in chapter 21, he writes this, and it's a peripheral thing going on in John's mind, between conversation between Peter and Christ. The important thing is, this is a commission according to John. We know Matthew's great commission. We know the Gospel of John was written for the evangelistic purpose. But in line with this purpose, I believe in this text, we know what to do to go out to the ends of the earth, to serve, find his flock, and tend to them. But what attitude we are to have in doing that type of work, to carrying out the Great Commission and tending to his flock, is to love Christ first. You know, John is very humble throughout the Gospel. And you see when Pastor James preaches through John, you see his reverence and deep love for Christ. He focuses much of his attention on Christ and his love for him. And he calls himself one Jesus loved. If John sees that it's better to focus on the great unfailing love of our Lord, which what He has for us, than to reflect on our feeble and fickle love for Him. In his Gospel, John's basically setting our eyes, not on ourselves, but on Christ. He refuses spotlight except on Christ and the truth He spoke. He focuses on Him. So by using Peter's experience, John records how Christ challenged Peter to do his ministry. Now Matthew emphasizes the authority of our Lord and Lord's command to make disciples. John focuses on our, what attitude we are to have for love of Christ, love of our Lord, the privilege that we have to show our love by caring for His flock. To love what He loved. Why did He die on the cross on Calvary? Because He loved us and He died for our sins. That is the essential message of a Christian. What demands not just the commitment, but commitment to love Christ. If we have our motivation to serve God other than loving for doing it for Christ, and it's a misguided uh, service, Therefore, John includes this encounter between Jesus and Peter to send his commission and what attitude we are to have. So the focus, focal point of this passage is not on the restoration of Peter. Yes, that is happening. But what rather? Loving Christ first. This passage is more about love, loving Christ, than leading a flock. I think Christ clearly reveals love for um, that love for Jesus demonstrated by faithfully caring for his flock. It is befitting that John ends his gospel by not stressing on believers' duty, although it's very important, but stressing on believers' love and sacrificial service, which are a visible demonstration the true love for Christ. So you know, some say that imitation is greatest form of flattery. Now John's commission 
to imitate Christ by loving what He loved. Right? Paul even urged us to imitate Him in His faith. You know, the young kids imitate Michael Jordan because they want to be like Him. But when you love someone, you want to be like them. You want to mimic their moves. That's what Christ is calling Peter to do. Love what I love. Tend to my sheep. You know, we could paraphrase this question by saying, Peter, do you really love me much as you say? And Christ basically is saying, then prove your love by taking care of my flock, whom I love. Jesus is a good shepherd, John 10 says. He cares for his sheep. He's a great shepherd, the chief shepherd. So when Peter, if he really loves the Lord, he'll be a good shepherd, under shepherd, under Christ, by caring for the weakest and most vulnerable and shepherding them. You know, recall the words, follow me. It constitutes when Christ called Peter to follow the Master in the beginning. You know, many Christians today, I think all of many of us, understand these words, follow me in the most shallow and superficial way, including me. You know, Paul writes in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Yeah, many of us practically, the way we live, by the way we live, we interpret this passage as if we do everything else in the world, then if we have time for it, we'll follow Him. To follow Christ in His steps, to as He lived, He laid down His life, but we do it on our spare time. But I think, we see by the result of what happened to Peter in his life. I think Peter got the message. He was willing to lay down his life. He knew he was going to die. From this point on, Peter knew. Because he told him that he would die on the cross. Similar to his death. I think Peter was joyed. He had joy in his heart at this time. And all the time that he was serving, nearly 30 years, he had joy knowing that he would imitate his Lord. Therefore, Peter got the message. You know, Peter bore the shame of publicly disowning Christ on that night three times. But he lived with that for 30 years, knowing that he would be a martyr. He stayed on this path. Can we stay on this path? knowing that we would die a painful death. It's an amazing fact. I think he did it with gladness and joy. He understood the purpose of John's commission and he made it his lifelong cause to do what? To love Christ. And put that love into action. And this is why we see the result of this transformation that takes place that night and that after this conversation that Peter becomes a successful minister of Christ because his focus was on love of Christ. So I want to leave you with a few applications today. Three rules for a man to be used by God to carry out his commission. 
Number one is the broken man rule. You know, Peter is a strong argument for belief that leaders are not um, are born with certain innate gifts. But also like Peter, in order to be a godly leader, one must be shaped by Christ. And he was a fisherman by trade. He certainly didn't have all the advantages of education, but he was a recipient of God's grace, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And from his denials, in this confrontation, he was a broken man. He was embarrassed in front of his Savior. When he saw Christ cross that courtyard that night when he denied him, imagine what he felt knowing that Christ predicted that was going to happen. He was now a man fearing God, no longer man. He was humble. He cared not about himself no longer. He cared about loving Christ. God used Peter for a great purpose. We see his sermon in the book of Acts and also the first and second Peter, the letters he wrote. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he teaches and writes extraordinary sermons and letters. One must be broken, similar to Peter, in order to become an excellent minister of God. There is no room for pride when you come before Christ. If you come boasting like Peter did, there's no room for that. One must be humble. God uses a broken man. Second rule, Christ man rule. This passage shows us, above all, that we must love Christ in first in order to serve Christ and to lead his flock. That is the basic question. The basic qualification of Christian service is not talent, is not ability, no, not being a nice guy. Overall, number one is to love Christ, the man of Christ. And that aspect is completely indispensable. Leadership or service in the church does not hinge upon one's obligation or desire. We should not serve Christ because we are obligated to. Or it shouldn't, draw, it shouldn't be driven by our desires. It should be driven by one factor only, as we see in this passage, for our love for Christ. It is not a place to gain avenue to achieve our own goals or personal gain. God does not bless people with status or position, but to carry out His divine purpose in this world by loving what Christ loved. You see this beautiful words of Peter, First Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. To shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, being example to your flock. Gives you instructions on how shepherds are to lead their flock. A man who is completely nothing after this conversation in John chapter 21. And he gives that type of exhortation many years later. You see a changed man. You see a man who has been humbled, who focuses on Christ. And lastly, 
last rule is a sacrificial man rule. You know, like Peter, our walk in, with Christ often comes at a price. It takes sacrifice to do Christ's work. It is difficult to serve God and be protective of everything, of our time, of our family, our careers, our friends and hobby. We can't do all those things and serve Christ. It takes sacrifice. Little love everywhere. Sometimes serving Christ, our career suffers a little bit. Sometimes serving Christ and loving Christ, our family suffers a little bit. But our lives are not separated. It's not a pie chart. The whole thing, the whole pie belongs to Christ anyway. Our families belong to Christ. Our jobs are given by God. What we possess as hobbies, what we possess in our homes, in our careers, is given by Christ. We have to see that in a totality. Peter knew after this day that he was going to die. It's going to cost him his life. I think Peter was motivated by his death because it would bring glory to God. You know, when we're, most of us are very young and we're still breathing, we're still on this earth. You know, we don't get this time back. The time that you have now, you don't get back. Once it passes, it's gone. You know, remember what William Wallace said in the Battle of Sterling. I was going to call up Young and he'll do our speech for you, but I won't do that today. Now he calls his fellow Scotsmen to do what? He says, you look back on your deathbed. You could run today. And that day, you may regret. What would you give to fight one more time? Just one more time. I don't want believers here to be on our deathbed, on our last leg, and say, gosh, I wish I had my youth back so I could serve God one more time. That would be a tragedy. But we would rather be like Paul, saying, I have run the race. I have given everything I got. I'm waiting for my death. That's a beautiful thing. So I ask you today, examine our lives individually, how much are we sacrificing for Christ? Or how much are we protective of our lives and protective of our comforts? And this may be a good measure of how much you love Christ. As we look back to this year, I reiterate what Pastor James said this morning. I thank God we made it through the year. I personally thank God. I'm looking forward to the end of this year and looking forward to the next year. Now I would like to this church to be just one year, just one time, just one time. And pretend this is a, a game. There's three seconds to go when we have the last shot. Just one time. That this church to be mean, a lean and mean unit. Next year, the theme is evangelism. We want this group to be mobile on its feet. As a leader of this church, I'd like to see this church become, members become like the elite seal unit, elite delta force, to evangelize, the purpose of evangelizing and showing how much we love Christ 
by sacrificing some of the things and comforts we have. Just one year. And give it all you got. You know, following Him truly comes with the cost. But I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, this morning. Look less to your circumstances and look to Christ. And evaluate how much you really love Him. And see the opportunities around you. Next year is an entire year of opportunity. We're going to push hard. We learned to, one thing we learned this past year is to stretch ourselves. Have a greater bandwidth. Enlarge our heart for Christ. This next year, 2003, is to do all that. On December 31st, next year, 2003, we could say, hey, we give it everything we got. Leave it all on the field. To follow Him truly costs. And I would ask you today, how much do I want to sacrifice for Christ? How much am I willing to love Christ? How much do I truly love Christ? I would ask you to put yourself in Peter's shoes and Christ asking those three questions to you. Do you really love me? Do you really love me? Do you really love me? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage today and the beautiful words of John speaking to us, the conversation that was recorded between Christ and Peter. It shows us to love you first and to turn tend to your flock whom you loved. I pray that in the upcoming year that we be men and women that are willing to give everything we have to serve you in the right manner. I pray that all of us would be broken and humble before our God. That our love for Christ must be central. And we'd be willing to sacrifice the comforts we have for the sake of our loving our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this past year. And I thank you in advance for the upcoming year. I pray that you would give us heart to serve you and show our love by serving you with everything we have. In Jesus' name I pray.